If you've not already done so, I would encourage you uh, to join me in Acts chapter 2. This is the sermon text uh, that we've been reading from the last several weeks. Acts chapter 2, and in just a few moments, I'll begin reading in verse 37, and we'll read all the way through verse 47. So today's title uh, and theme from Life in a Jesus Treasuring Church is Mercy and Social Concern. So Acts chapter 2, verse 37 through 47. Worship with me in the reading of God's word. Now when they had heard this, they were pierced to the heart. And said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? Peter said to them, Repent And each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. And with many other words, he solemnly testified and kept on exhorting them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. So then, those who had received his word were baptized, and that day there were added about 3,000 souls. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles' And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God. And having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. And let's join our hearts together and ask his help this morning. Father, we thank you again for this sweet privilege that you've given us today. And Lord, today is no different um, than... This day that we read of in Acts chapter 2, a day that will not have again as they were gathered together in one place. And you've gathered us together on this day because uh, you have a word for us. There's something um, very specific, something very unique, something very profound that you want to teach us about yourself. And this is bigger than... um, A lot of other things that we could think or conceive that it could be, Lord, this is uh, about you, Lord. Your glory is at stake. The reputation of your church in this community and city and the world is at stake, Lord. Your gospel is what is on the front line of ministry. And so, Lord, we're we're asking as humble uh, beggars for your grace and your mercy, Lord. We ask that you would use us, spend us for your glory. Uh, give us a single eye for your glory, Lord. Help us to see that we have been equipped with your spirit um, 
in order to proclaim uh, the good news of our risen Savior, Jesus Christ. And uh, Lord, help us, Lord, to be faithful in doing that. And make us, Lord, make us a people who genuinely care um, about this household of faith and who genuinely care about all peoples. We ask these things in Christ's name and for your glory. Amen. So when a need presents itself to you, what is your initial response? How should the church respond to such needs as these? When does a church say no to a requested need? Why would a church say no to a requested need? How can we as a church body discern when we ought to meet a need and when we should say no? If we do provide assistance for a person in need, what does that assistance look like? What does accountability look like? How should a person be expected to disclose Uh, the things that are going on in their life in order to welcome this sort of accountability. So these are some of the questions uh, that we've been considering for a number of years. And the Bible has answers to these questions. And Christians have a responsibility in the matter of mercy and social concern. Churches are to be prepared and equipped for how each of her members should demonstrate mercy and establish social concern. One antidote that we can immediately see from this church in Acts chapter 2 is very clear. They were demonstrating mercy. They were showing social concern that they had four specific needs that one another had identified. So as a church, we need to be able to navigate through today's concerns with biblical clarity and Christ-like charity. I want to say that again, okay? I want that to be in our mind and hearts throughout, uh, throughout the entire sermon today. We need to consider all that's going on in the life of our church. We need to be able to discern and see what's going on in the life of our community. And we need to be able to navigate through every single one of these concerns with biblical clarity and Christ-like charity. There's two questions uh, that we're going to try to answer this morning from Acts chapter 2. How do we think through mercy and social concern with biblical clarity? And how do we demonstrate this with Christ-like charity? How do we think through it uh, or understand it from the teaching of the Scripture? And what does it look like for us to show this? What does it look like for us to demonstrate this in our church body and in uh, the neighborhood that God has called us to serve. So first of all, what does it mean to think through mercy and social concern with biblical clarity? Our verse that we're considering this morning um, really is verse 45, but I want to back up to and read verse 44. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. And listen to verse 45. They began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. So that's where we're honing in on this morning. They began selling their property and their possessions. They began sharing them with all who had need. So what is meant by biblical clarity? The Bible 
God's holy word must inform our display of mercy, must inform and empower our fight for any sort of injustice that we might see. As always, we derive our hope from looking to the person and work of Jesus Christ. God has mercy and compassion on whom he has mercy and compassion. God is the one who maintains the cause of the afflicted. We saw that earlier in Psalm chapter 140, verse 12. I know that the Lord will maintain the cause of the afflicted and justice for the poor. God is a God. This is intertwined. This is connected with the very character and nature and heart of God. God is a God of mercy. God is the righteous judge. God is the one who does now and will for all eternity exact perfect justice. It's who he is. And it's how he reigns as the Holy One. He is the just and the justifier. The tension that we see in Proverbs 17, 15. Christ is the one in whom we are justified by His grace. Romans 3 and Titus 3. So this is why we need biblical clarity on a matter in order for us to rightly understand how this fleshes out in the life of the church. Order matters. Foundations matter. Theological underpinnings matter. If God has been so careful and precise in prescribing what the church is, then doesn't it make perfect sense that He greatly cares what the church does and the manner and methods in which we are to go about these things? This is His bride. We are His people. He is our husband. He is our maker. He is our creator. He is our redeemer. And He has providentially, graciously called us together in this faith family. So He cares about all of these things. How we approach this. What we think about it. How we go about it. All of these things matter to God. So let me illustrate it in this way. Let's just pretend, okay, that what we've read so far, what we've talked about so far in Acts chapter 2, didn't yet exist. What if we began in verse 44 and verse 45, okay? Let's forget about them devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking bread, prayer, all of those things. What if we just began with verse 45 and thinking about how we should handle things such as mercy and social concern? We should just sell our possessions. We should just sell our property. We ought to just give to those who have need. There isn't anything inherently wrong with doing these things. But it's not enough for us to know. It's not just enough to be able to do it. We, we need to know how we ought to think through these matters. So, for example, selling and sharing in order to meet a need, that sounds like a good thing. There are tons of nonprofits. There are tons of organizations. There are tons of people out there who are endeavoring to do such a thing. But we ought to consider what is this need that ought to be met? What possessions should we give in order to meet this need? Should something be sold in order for that need to be met? How much of that need are we responsible to meet? How often are we to meet that need? When does it seem that a person is taking advantage of those who are meeting that need? 
When does meeting that need do more to harm the person than it does to actually help them? Many organizations are taking this approach in efforts to meet needs. They'll take money and resources. They're giving to those who are in need, and I'm not in any way hammering them. I'm not coming at them and just saying all that they're doing is ridiculous or futile. Much common good is taking place around the world from secular organizations using resources to provide food, clothing, shelter, etc. But we're talking about the church here. We must primarily care about what God requires from us. Recipients of eternal mercy. Again, order matters. Methods matter. And this church that we're reading about here didn't just aimlessly run out to address the needs they observed. They applied each of the previous components that we've been looking at in the last several weeks to help them understand, to help them think through with great biblical clarity what the responsibility of the church is. Does that make sense? They used these things that God had been prescribing for them. They were Christians. They were members of a local church. They were devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. They were using the truth of God, and this truth of God was transforming their mind and their heart and their wills to think and to feel and to obey. They were devoting themselves to fellowship. They were devoting themselves to the breaking of bread and prayer. They were humbly availing themselves not only to God, but they were humbly availing themselves to one another. They were together, and they had all the essentials in common. All that God requires for Christians gathered together in a local assembly, they were going after. They, they had that. And I want us to understand the importance of this. I'm persuaded these are the things that we're going after. This, we want to be a biblically healthy church. We want to be a church who honors God. We want to be a church that does good to all, especially the household of faith. So God's word, prayer, biblical fellowship, these are the grounds for them to see one another's needs as well as the grounds for us to know what we should do in being able to meet one another's needs and to do so in a way that is both honoring to God and is exhorting us as brothers and sisters in Christ. God has so composed and equipped and gifted the church so that the church would be the most ideal means of grace to sufficiently meet all of the needs of the church. Let me say that one more time. God has composed and equipped and gifted the church in such a way that this is his most ideal means in order that all of our needs are sufficiently met. Doesn't mean that we'll never need outside resources. But what it is clearly saying is that we don't need to immediately look outside. We need to lay these requests not only before God, but lay these burdens before one another. And see how God has gifted our church in such a way 
to be able to adequately, sufficiently, to His glory, to our joy, to the strengthening of our faith, to meet all of these needs that we have. It's good to be in a needy position. That's the way God's created us. That's the way God has wired us. No one goes to a doctor unless they see their need for the doctor. It's not the, the, the righteous who Christ has come. He has come to seek those who are lost, those who are sick in our sins. So it's good for us to be in a position of need, and it's even better when we see that this need can only be met in the provision and bounty of our glorious Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. What is, and we know these things to be biblically sound, simply by, our virtue, simply by virtue of our union with Jesus Christ. What is our most basic and fundamental need? Our most basic and fundamental need is this, a redeemed heart, a renewed mind. How is this most basic and fundamental, fun, fundamental need met? Met in Christ. God, according to Ezekiel, has removed our heart of stone which cannot respond to Him and has given a heart of flesh that will respond to Him in faith and repentance. God is renewing our mind, being transformed by the renewing of our mind through God's Word as we are presented as living sacrifices holy unto Him. These are our most basic and fundamental needs. God has created this way, as this way. And he's given us Christ, Christ alone, to meet these needs. So it makes biblically clear sense that the same God who has and continues to meet our most basic and fundamental need with Christ prescribes for us through the example of this same Jesus Christ that the church is his plan for meeting one another's needs. We, I want us to grab this, okay? We extend mercy. We extend grace from the very same reservoir which we ourselves are receiving it from. To do so means that it will be most helpful and will ensure that God receives all the glory in us doing this. So we extend grace and mercy from the very same reservoir that we ourselves are drinking and feasting from. Christ didn't just die for our sins only, meaning that He only removed the penalty of our sins. He rose rose again, giving us eternal life in Him. So organizations that we mentioned earlier, those those can meet some needs. Those can meet some common good needs. However, God equips the church to provide holistic care. One pastor said this, mercy to the full range of human needs is such an essential mark of being a Christian that it can be used as a test of true faith. What was first century Christianity's approach to mercy and social concern? Devotion to God and devotion to one another. The single greatest resource for effective ministry and justice is the church. The church that is singularly devoted to God and congregationally committed to one another. What a powerful display for God's people to be singularly devoted to Him and congregationally committed to one another. They gave 
as one another had need. So that begs this question, how do they know? How do they know what needs needed to be met? I'm sure that in some cases, this need was probably observable, maybe obvious to everyone's attention or eye. More often than not, though, a person has to humble themselves and let people know, let people be aware of the needs that we're seeking the Lord and seeking one another's help for Him to provide. So let me, let me love you in saying this. If you currently have an unmet need, perhaps a reason why that need is still unmet may be almost entirely owing to your pride. Your refusal to make this need not known, not only to God, but to one another. And there might be some arguments you'd say, well, I would say this, but that's pride. Well, I don't feel very comfortable telling people that's pride. Pride is so prideful that prideful shields us from seeing how prideful we really are. There's no room for pride at the cross. There's no room for pride in this church. But rather we need to continue to humbly avail ourselves to God and humbly avail ourselves to one another. Galatians 6.10, it was read earlier, so then, while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people and especially to those who are of the household of the faith So it begs these two questions here. What does mercy and social concern look like in the household of faith, Grace Church? What does it look like to all outside, those outside of our church in particular? How do we understand the gospel in light of showing mercy and doing justice? And I think there's a few warning passages that really help us in understanding um, what disobedience looks like and what obedience should look like. So James 2, and some of these, many of these were prayed in today's prayer gathering. If a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and be filled, and yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body, what use is that? Or 1 John 3, but whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? This is calling into a person's Christianity. This is calling into question uh, the validity of a person's profession of faith in Jesus Christ. If you have the capability of doing so, you see it, And in your heart, you close yourself off to your brother who is clearly in need. How does God's love abide in him? Little children. That's what he says. I'm not calling you little children. Let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and truth. Or 1 Corinthians 13.3. And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned. I mean, these are two pretty extremes here. Giving all my possessions to the poor, surrendering my body to be burned. 
but do not have love, it profits me nothing. So perhaps more clearly than we've seen from 1 John and 1 Corinthians 13, these two passages help us to see why it is essential that we think through these things with biblical clarity, that we think through these things with Christ-like charity. We are instructed, based on the verses we just read, that we're not to love with word or with tongue, but we are to love in deed and in truth. This is biblical clarity. And we see from 1 Corinthians 13 that if we give all of our possessions to feed the poor, but we do not have love, it profits us nothing. This helps us to see what it looks like when we Show mercy with Christ-like charity. So simply put, don't say that you love and yet refuse mercy. Don't only show mercy and just assume that it's love that honors both God and best serves the soul in whom you're demonstrating mercy and concern to. And so the church, what, I mean, there's no better place. Really, there's, there's no better place for us to work through these things together. And uh, what, what, a, what a beautiful organism this is that God has given, given us here at Grace to be able to work through these things uh, together and to help sharpen one another so that we understand what are the commands of God. Now, what does obedience look like for our church? What are we doing that's not in keeping with God's uh, revealed will on these matters? How can we encourage and stir one another up toward love and good deeds? How can we encourage one another to excel still more in Christ-likeness? How can we continue to press forward in all of these matters? God has composed the church for us to devote ourselves to God's teaching so that we will look like what we are before Him, a pure people who are zealous for good deeds. Proverbs 14, 31, he who oppresses the poor, I mean, I want us to hear this, okay? He who oppresses the poor taunts his maker. But he who is gracious to the needy honors him. One who is gracious to a poor man lends to the Lord, and God will repay him for his Good deed. So seeing things biblically means that our Christ-like care is underscored as those who are recipients of the eternal mercy of God in Christ. Let us again look at Peter's sermon in order for us to see our need and how our need is met in Christ. Peter told them, verse 22, men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested you by God with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through him in your midst. Just as you yourselves know, this man, delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. But God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. So we see even from this sermon here. Our need is clearly on display. We are in need of having sins forgiven. Only Christ 
can serve as the atonement for our sins. We are in need of a Savior. And that Savior is a person, and that person is Jesus Christ, the very one who was nailed to the cross by godless men. And though we weren't there present to nail him to the cross per se, it was our sins that nailed him to the cross. And thanks be to God that he is no longer dead, but he has risen from the dead. And all of this was according to the predetermined plan of God. And so those who have come to God on God's terms, which is through faith in Christ, it's repentance that's moving toward God, it's faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Those who've come to God through faith in Christ and Christ alone, we are recipients of eternal mercy. Not just temporary mercy, not just momentary mercy. We've all been recipients of that before. We've, we've all been uh, at the mercy of someone else before that really could uh, probably uh, leverage some sort of punishment against us for some things. And yet they've chosen to extend to us some type of grace and some type of mercy. That's only for a brief moment. But Christ's work, Christ's death, That's eternal. Eternal mercy that has been extended to us from God. And it's from that well, that bottomless well, that infinite well, that we, as God's children, extend grace and mercy here, that we extend grace and mercy to all. And that right there is precisely while no other organization out there can do what God has mandated for the church to do. There can be good things that they're done, okay? Common good things. But God has given this responsibility to the church. Why? Why has he given us this responsibility? Because we're recipients of his mercy. We get it. We get it. We, we know. We, we are ones who know what we've been forgiven of. We know in whom we have this forgiveness. And he has furthermore equipped us with this ministry of reconciliation where all things have been made uh, at peace with him through the blood of his cross. And so, there's, I'm certain probably lots of temptations to think at times like, I just don't know how to handle a person that comes to me and expresses some kind of need or somebody else that uh, identifies these things that are going on in my life. I'm not really sure where I go with them and I'm not sure how I take them. I'm not sure what I do with them. I feel perhaps powerless in some ways. And the precious reality is this. God has equipped us with this ministry. And God will continue to use us as a church body. This is not, none of these things are done in isolation. None of these things, these components, none of these are done in isolation. All of these things are done together. And the entire church is responsible for all of these components. So none of us can simply, can simply say, hey, that devotion to God's teaching, that's your thing. Uh, that mercy's your thing. That social concern's your thing. That worship's your thing. That prayer's your thing. That's where you're gifted. You go do that. All of the church 
is responsible and accountable for all of these things. So let's do them and let's do them well together. This foundational understanding leads us to our next point. What does Christ-like charity look like for the church and for all? So to go back again, verse 45. They were selling their property and possessions. And they were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. They were sharing their things with one another. Micah 6.8, He has told you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. What is meant by Christ-like charity? It's genuine love for another person. Selfless love. Love that shows my life is not my own. My possessions really are not my possessions. It's the First Thessalonians 2.8 sort of language that I desire to impart to you not only the gospel, but my very life because of how dear you have become to us. James Montgomery Boyce says this, they shared their goods because they were generous. They were generous because they had learned generosity from God. God had been generous with them So, because God had been generous with them, they were determined to be generous with one another. He says it well. Part of the economy of God is how God has uniquely gifted our church. Part of the economy of God is how God has uniquely gifted our church. Not just the universal church, but grace church. Within the church, there are always going to be needs. Always. We are in need of the mercy of God, and that need is met in Christ. There are also countless number of needs that we have. Within the church, there will always be those that God uses to meet those needs. This is how God has composed the church. And in the church, we must always war against the superiority and inferiority complex. That you have the means to meet a person's needs does not make you superior. Nor does the reality that you need, that you have needs that need to be met, make you inferior to anyone in this church. All of us are created in the image of God. We are bought with the same unblemished blood of Christ. And we are also made co-heirs of the same eternal inheritance. So just as there's no place for pride at the cross, there's certainly no place for superiority or inferiority. We're adopted into His family. We're a child of the Most High God. So let me close with these applications. And I won't tell you how many of them. There are a few of them. Here are some applications that I hope we find to be helpful. And these, these are, uh, I don't in any way uh, present these as an exhaustive list. Um, I was thankful during prayer time today, uh, just about everybody that prayed, I was sitting there thinking, man, that's, that's something that's so helpful for today's sermon that just wasn't on my radar. And so I'm, I'm thankful for how God orchestrates that. Uh, there's, there's so much that can be said in regards to these matters. And that's just an evidence, I think, Furthermore, of his desire for us to get a biblical 
handle on these things. So here's the first application. I want to encourage us, okay? Not at you, with you. Again, I'm listening today every bit as much as I'm preaching. We ought to really consider reprioritizing our time. I think we ought to hold our schedules, hold our calendars before the Lord and ask Him. Just let everything be on the table. And ask Him how He intends to use the hours of the day and the days of the week so that we're faithful in gospel proclamation and we're faithful in uh, meeting and assisting one another's needs and we're giving attention to mercy and concern for um, the neighborhood and for the city and for the nations. I'm not in any way suggesting, okay? I'm not in any way suggesting if, if I'm you um, and I didn't know that I was about to say what I'm about to say, I'm probably thinking, I can't add another thing to my calendar. I, I don't see the... I don't see the flexibility. I'm not asking any of us to add something else to our calendar. I'm simply saying, let's restructure our lives so that we have the freedom to do the things that really matter most to God. And let's just be honest. Let's be, let's be honest. We're going to do what really matters to us, right? We can admit that. If something is important enough to us, we are masters at finding ways to do that. So what I'm simply suggesting is let's, let, let's hold these things out to the Lord. And, and we need God's help. None of us are experts in this. We need God's help for God to show us what matters most. Secondly, Mercy ministry, as we call, can attest, it's messy. Oh, is it messy. And oftentimes it's more unsuccessful than successful. If we were graded here at Grace on how well we've done in mercy ministry, I'm scared to see what that grade might be. Uh, We don't always get graded on our best intentions, but it's messy. There is a risk. And I I want to caution us against involving ourselves to the degree that mercy ministry is going to be potentially successful. If we only work towards mercy and social concern to the degree that it's going to be potentially successful, man, we'll never do anything. We'll We'll just sit back. Mercy ministry must be relational. We can't be the kind of church that just throws things out at people. No single church is able to meet every need that exists. We should give priority to needs in our neighborhood. We give priority to uh, needs in our church, giving priority to needs of those who have an existing relationship with us. And so I know that we all see the needs. I mean, this, this, the world is needy. And every need out there is not, God doesn't intend for Grace Church to meet all of those needs. God will employ others to meet those needs. However, we've got to be sensitive to the needs within this body, the needs within this neighborhood, the needs within this city, and the needs of those who have a relationship with us. Everyone in this church kept feeling a sense of awe. Have you often thought, 
where did this, where did this derive from? Isn't it awe-inspiring when we see the Lord use this church in meeting a need? I want to pause for just a moment, and I want you to think about, personally, how has God used this church body to meet a legitimate need in your life? Now, let your mind, with awe, think about just a few of the ways that God has used this church body in meeting very clear needs. Isn't that awe-inspiring? Isn't that one of the ways that we see the wonder of the glory of God on display? I cannot tell you the number of times where a need has gone out there and a need has been met and I've sat back and I just thought, man, Lord, you are so good. It's just remarkable to see these needs go out and then you just deploy people in this church body to meet that need. I mean, I'm not, every need is significant. But some of these needs that are met and how quickly they're met, that ought to make us people of awe. That ought to make us people that marvel at the wonder of God. That's God on display in the life of this church. Is when these clear needs are not only made known to Him, but we see His grace and His mercy and how He uses one another in meeting that need. Not for the attention and honor for one another, but for the glory of Him. And it's Him who receives that praise. That's in part why they were in awe and they were feeling a sense of awe. They were seeing God at work in such tangible and specific and precise ways. They were praying and seeking the Lord and watching the hand of the Lord answer these requests. What are some areas as a church we need to identify? These are more questions and not so much answers. Help us to think through these. What are the needs within our church body? What are the needs within our community in the city? What are the needs in the nations? What does prayer look like? What does resourcing look like these things? What does training and equipping look like with these things? Part of my responsibility and our pastors is equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. Help us in knowing how we can uh, be more faithful to God's word in equipping the saints to do the work of the ministry. There is a funnel, Grace Church, for how needs can be met. Small groups is one funnel. Through making the need known to the church is another funnel. There's accountability within this system as well. If anybody outside of grace comes and asks you for money, we can point them to Deacon Dan over here. And Deacon Dan talks with them. There's a a benevolence form that I printed out and forgot where I put it to show you. But there's a form where people can fill out. There's a Tuesday meeting at, at 3.30. If you meet or talk with somebody, You can send them to the pastors Tuesdays, 3.30, meet up at their office. And there's a list of things that we work with them concerning. Not just with budget. We we want to, this is what we tell them. We want to get to know you and we want you to get to know us. We want to know what the real need is in your life. And we want to be able to share with you how our eternal need can be met in Christ. Similar to last week, we are ambassadors for God. 
because we have been reconciled to him. It's our mandate and our joy to go as ministers of reconciliation. As recipients of eternal mercy, we must demonstrate that we are children of the Most High God. In our concern for this church and our neighbors, and this is going to manifest itself in selfless and sacrificial care. This is the way of God. This is the life of the Christian. I mean, part of the reason that we call the medical people in our church is because we trust them. We trust them. We know they care about our soul. They don't care about, or they don't care only about us getting well. They care about our soul. Good hospitals are going to provide good care. Biblical churches demonstrate genuinely appropriate mercy and concern. We're going to make mistakes along the way. We've made mistakes before. We're going to make them along the way. We don't want to be known as among the poor as a cash cow because we're not. We don't want to be known as a night of the week where people can come get a certain amount of food and then leave. We don't want to be known as disinterested. We don't want to be known as uh, disingenuine to a person's real need. We need wisdom from God to treat every person as they are, created in the image of God, and not just automatically assume that every person's out there trying to scam us. And let me just simply import this. I've I've, uh, been general about these things for um, obvious reasons, because there are some of these things that I believe that families just ought to decide for themselves. Families ought to talk about what you should do with somebody that you see on the side of the road. You should talk about how you handle people that you might see in a particular... Each family should talk through those things and work through those things and come through decisions on those matters. Every member of this church, every Christian is a deacon. We're all servants. and We need more generous acts of hospitality. We need more giving a cup of cold water in Jesus' name. God has designed and composed this church in such a way that the riches of Christ be spoken from poor in spirit instruments to poor in spirit vessels that are ready to drink and eat their fill of an all-satisfying Christ. The very Christ through whom we are justified, made right declared right before God. God is just. Christ is the justifier who has shown us eternal mercy through his blood. So, as Rutherford would say, to live on Christ's love is to live the king's life. So, Grace Church, I want to encourage us as receivers of mercy to be dispensers of mercy. Let's get and give and hit repeat. Let's get and let's give and hit repeat. For his glory and so that we would see in such practical ways, Christ is all satisfying. Let's pray.
even now, Father. Even now. Listening to this and watching the example of the church in Acts not only makes us more accountable, but it shows the great need that we have for you. And Lord, we thank you for your patience toward us. And Lord, we do pray, God, we do pray that you would make us to be people that are genuinely and sincerely interested in the needs of others. Help us to be sacrificial. Help us to be selfless. Help us to give consideration to the needs of this church. Help us, the Lord, to have a sense that what is mine is yours. And Father, we pray that you would help us as a church to be humble before you, to avail ourselves to one another because you delight in getting the glory when you see our needs being met. In fact, you are the one who says, and my, or you say through Paul, and my God will supply all of your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ. To live on you and your love really is to live the king's life. So help us, we pray, for your glory, for our joy in Christ. Amen.